This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 202, Hot Tea with Marilyn Blosser. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Everybody gets knocked down in life. Let's just be upfront about that. There's none of us that's going to make it through life without getting punched in the gut at least a couple of times. Life throws you curveballs, sometimes two or three at a time, right? When you get kicked down, what happens next? Well, that's what we're going to be covering with our guest today. There's really two outcomes. One, you can look for someone to blame. Or two, you can look for a handle to pull yourself back up again. And Marilyn Blosser, our guest today, is someone who has consistently found the handles in life by which she can pull herself back up uh, to, to rise in, and even thrive. And you'll meet her uh, in this episode and you'll see what I'm talking about, her personality, her vigor, her, her desire for success and, and service to her clients is just absolutely unparalleled. And so I'm, I'm just so proud to call her a colleague and a friend. And she's made it through really 40, almost 50 years in the financial and insurance services business. You know, she's seen the rise and maturing of the 401k and IRA industry in the early 70s. 401ks didn't even exist when she got started. Now, Marilyn was born in Miami and she's lived in Florida all her life. She's been in the financial services business for almost 45 years. She's very active in her professional organization, WIFS, which is Women in Insurance and Financial Services, having served many terms on both the national and local board of directors. She also belongs and is active in several service organizations, including the American Legion. Marilyn enjoys spending time with her family and friends, as well as playing golf and, and I can attest to this, she is an avid poker player and does not lose easily, let me tell you. And that's a saying not just about poker, but in her case, it's about life itself. So let's take it away, Marilyn, and guys, hope you'll enjoy this interview. Marilyn, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So I think there's a number of stories I want to explore with you, and I want you to take us right back to why and how did you get into the business of insurance and financial services back in the day? Back in the day, that would have been uh, somewhere around the mid 70s. I was a struggling divorcee with two kids and I had a nine to five job and my girlfriend Pat had just gone to work for a debit office for John Hancock. And she said to me, Marilyn, the federal government issued a mandate to major insurance companies that said, you will hire female agents. And so now you can become an insurance agent. I mean, a little sidebar is Allstate and State Farm didn't follow the mandate and wound up paying literally millions and millions of dollars in wow. class action lawsuits because they still refused to hire a women agent, much less let a woman own the agency. Wow. So... I said, oh, you know, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I need a, a job, 
and I need a salary and I need to depend on it because this was a commission only. And she said, well, they'll subsidize you for the first six months while you're in training. And I must say, I did have excellent training from the under manager. Bob Egan was great, uh, taught me a lot. And um, I loved it, but I have to backtrack because I told Pat, I said, I don't, you know, I, I need, I need money. And then she told me about the subsidy. And then she said to me, Marilyn, there is no limit to the amount of money you can make. And I went, oh, okay, well, let me give that a shot and get <laughs> past that glass ceiling. And so I actually, when I first went into it, I, I went into it uh, with my head and the money for me. It didn't take very long for me to realize that I was changing people's lives dramatically. And then my passion went to my heart. And that's where it is today. Because those of us in this industry that understand the value of cash value life insurance, we are changing people's financial lives. And, and that's... Um, both humbling and a personal satisfaction, which is why I'll probably be like Zig Ziglar and never retire. <laughs> I love it. So that was my start. I qualified for MDRT my first year in the business, a million dollar round table, um, which is an honor because you get there because of the production. So that, um, that's how I got started. Yeah, that's not a small feat to, in your first year, um, in financial services and insurance, hitting the million dollar round table is an unbelievably rare accomplishment, Marilyn. So well done. And you, you must've been fully committed. Um, and we're going to get into some of the stories of how you have dramatically changed people's lives through some of your solutions and using bank on yourself, cash value, life insurance, but take us to the beginning of your career. I'm sure it was not all roses day one. <laughs> they didn't just roll out the red carpet. I, I had no idea about some of the, some of the hiring um, cultures oh, that were out there, but uh, I can imagine it was rough. Um, most men don't, and especially younger men and a lot of younger women uh, aren't aware. I mean, now women can be doctors and lawyers and dentists, and that's all new. But for the younger generation they weren't ever exposed to that. So I managed to get a position with CNA. I was a life sales rep and I would go into independent property casualty agencies, speak to the principal of the agency and explain to them what a disservice they were doing to their commercial clients because they never talked about life insurance. They... <laughs> It's an expression of mine. Property casualty agents don't know how to spell life insurance, much less sell any of it. Mm -hmm. So the first person that I would review would be the principal of the agency, and they were all pitifully underinsured. And I said, you're doing a disservice to your commercial clients because you're not showing them what their exposure is. So once they saw how I worked, and, you know, not pushy, but wanting to do the best thing for the client. And 
even more importantly, explaining why they needed to make this step. Uh, then they would let me go ahead and they would introduce me. I became like their insurance arm. And I worked with Henry, who was the manager. There were five men and me in, in his office, in his district office in Fort Lauderdale. Henry was a remarkable, remarkable manager. He knew everything about every one of us. He took each of us to lunch individually, no less than once a month. And I worked there for, oh my gosh, 18, 19 years. And then Henry said to me one day, um, we need to have lunch. I'll meet you at the bar. At, I'm like, okay. So we, we went to Shooters and um, we sat down and Henry was having a drink. It was noon. And I said, you're drinking? And he said, yeah, I think you should have one. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I think it should be a double. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what happened? And then he proceeded to tell me that he was retiring from CNA and going into business himself. I was sitting at the bar crying. I guess the bartender thought we were having an affair and Henry <laughs> was breaking up or something. But I was like, I can't imagine working for CNA without you. I mean, it, it, oh, don't be silly. You'll be fine. But I wasn't fine because then CNA sent down this other guy from Chicago. And there I was again with the woman agent syndrome. That was pretty much it. I, um, I, I vacillated for months. Do I stay? Do I quit? Um, I'd be driving down the street. I'd start crying over it. It was, you know, and finally I decided, uh, no, I'm going to leave. I'll just open my own business. And um, not the end of the story, though. I did sue CNA and I did collect. It was kind of poetic. It was uh, interesting <laughs> wow. experiences dealing with different men. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't have that problem now because... I work for myself. I have a little story. I was presenting to a high net worth client, telling him he needed insurance for estate tax purposes. You know, dollars at a discount. He needed an um, irrevocable life insurance trust. And I was showing him a $2 million policy. And he was looking at it and he was looking at the premium, you know, and then he leaned back. We we're sitting at a table. He leaned back and he went, oh, I don't think I need that insurance. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend it all before I die. And I looked at him and I said, Al, in order for you to do that, you're going to have to quit making it. And you're not about to do that. And mm -hmm. he laughed because he, he knew he was never going to stop making it. And he was to the, he doesn't need any money. High net worth people. It, it, in this, I have found that um, they're never going to quit another deal. They're never going to stop making money. So mm -hmm. if anybody ever says, Joe, I'm going to spend it all before I die, that's not going to happen. That's a really good point. And Marilyn, you, you've gone through a journey to get to the independent chapter in your, in your business, in your history. Tell me, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the life insurance arena over the last you know, 40 plus years. 
Well, when I started out with uh, John Hancock, there were only three kinds of life insurance. There was whole life. Then there was annual renewable term. So the death benefit stayed level, but the premium went up every year. Then there was decreasing term. So the premium stayed the same, but the death benefit went down to mirror the client's mortgage. Now there's at least 10 different types of life insurance. So for decades and decades, anybody who thought life insurance, they only thought of the death benefit. That, and that's predominantly why agents sold it. It was, we're going to protect the widows and the orphans. So as a result, even though we have all these other types available that are so much better than that original whole life policy I sold back then, 90% or more of the financial professionals out there are still talking only about the death benefit. So mm -hmm. no wonder you hear people say I'm worth more dead than alive. We are the ones that we talk about the living benefits first and then the death benefit. So we're trying to change the culture because we've got Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman out there saying, oh, cash value life insurance, that's the worst thing. Buy term and invest a difference. It, it, the financial entertainers, as Pamela calls them, have brainwashed and people follow the herd. Max out your 401k. The changes mm -hmm. in the industry are dramatic. And for the better, for the for the betterment of the client to help them become their own cash cow. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Marilyn, I want to uh, jump in really quick on this because, you know, you and I are both bank on yourself professionals and you've seen the changes uh, that I, I think many people are only hearing about, uh, but you were around even in the, maybe even in the, the financial services world insurance space when they started offering 401ks, you know, it's not like they were issued from Mount Sinai down the mountain, right? From Moses. Um, yeah, they, they're was, pretty recent, right? That was in the 80s. 401ks are the worst instrument out there and people don't understand it. And they don't, nobody talks about the volatility. So you're 75 and you're 80 and you're retired and you're getting income off of whatever investment you currently have. Say you're getting $10,000 a month and the market drops 25%, your $10,000 a month now goes to 7,500. Then you plug in 5% in inflation. Now you're down to 7,250. What do you do? You're not employed anymore. If that happens to you when you're 40, it's no big deal. You still have an income coming in. But what do you do when you're 75 or 80 and that volatility strikes? what you're going to go to walmart and be a, a greeter mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. or depend on borrowing money or i mean you're you're put in a position and you're in a position where you are no longer actively employed so you're at a big disadvantage when that volatility hits if you're if 
if you're backed up with whole life insurance, that volatility is never going to happen. Some people recognize the capital that they had in their policies. Famous people, Walt Disney and J.C. Penney and countless of other people who started their business by utilizing the living benefits of their cash value life insurance. And that's what I try and hone in with my people. It's like, you know, forget about the death benefit. But if something happens, it's there. And it's still going to protect the widows and the orphans. What if you live to 70? Now you've got something to back that is not ever going to go backwards. It's going to continue to increase. Mm -hmm. You've created your own cash cow. And it's something you can depend on, regardless of your age. You know, I, I kind of liken the 401k, and I'll tell the story quickly, and then I want to go back to your questions, Marilyn, but you've, you've brought up some really good points. I mean, you're right. Early 80s, the first 401k got issued. I actually met a guy who, who had his 401k given to him the first year it was made publicly uh, available to when they started doing salary deferral 401ks, mm -hmm. 1981, 82, I think. And I met a guy at a business meeting. Uh, I was doing a workshop. And he was still working. He was a young guy when he got his 401k. He's been at that same job for 40 some odd years. And guess what? He'd had to tap that 401k a few times for an emergency and this and that. He had about $150,000 in there after 40 plus years with how many bull markets, et cetera. Yep. And, and I'm telling you, if that's, if that's the best a 401k can do, that's an experiment I don't want to be you know, a lab rat in because, you know, we've seen it. We've gone through a full generation now where 401ks have not produced what we hoped it would. And case in point, this one particular person, right? Other people have made it, right? They made their millions. But the more you build up in a 401k, the riskier it is. Like you said, if you're 70 and, and the market tanks, well, you're in big trouble. Um, whereas if you've got a policy that you funded for the same period of time, it's like a, it's like a, a car that gets better gas mileage every year you have it. And so when you're right into your retirement years, the time when you want your money working at its best, well, that's exactly what cash value life insurance does. Bank on yourself policies get better and better and better every year we have them. There's nothing we can do about it. So I love it. What do you think is it about um, cash value life insurance that is most understood? And also, what do you think about cash value life insurance that's least understood uh, among people that you meet? They don't understand the living benefits because 90% of the advisors out there aren't talking about that. They're still talking about nothing but the death benefit. And then you also have to consider, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ed Slot. He's a nationally mm -hmm. known CPA and he's not licensed to sell life insurance. But all he talked about was the financial advantage of cash value life insurance. So go back to that 401k that belongs to the government. It doesn't really belong to you. Mm. Every time you take money out, you're going to have to pay taxes on whatever your tax bracket is at the time. If you die and you leave it to family, they're going to have to pay taxes on it. You have the money in the cash value properly structured cash value life insurance policy, you're never going to get a 1099 from the insurance company. That money is actually your money. 
you're in control of it. And you can take it out and put it in. Like, I mean, uh, it's your own little private cash cow. That's cool. That's really awesome. Well, I've met more and more people. And tell me what you've found, Marilyn, in your years. You've seen people start policies and hold them for decades. What's it like when you've got a client that you've talked to for 20, 30, whatever years, and now they're reaping the benefits of their discipline saving strategy in their life insurance? What's that like? The number one question I get, once the client, once they get it, it's how much more money can I put in this policy? I, I had a, oh gosh, about 10, 12 years ago, Neil, he came to year seven and we do the review and he's like, well, how much, how much more can I put in this year? Cause he was adding money every year. And I said, well, you, you're maxed out, Neil, you can't put any more in. And he goes, well, I'm not happy. <laughs> like, literally what that's a, how he said it I'm what a happy. mind shift what a mind <laughs> shift you know to, to to think you know to think that term insurance you'd think to yourself hey how little can i get away with and here he is he's saying how much can i squeeze in that's just a different mindset isn't it but Not i well. made him happy because he that's had awesome. term insurance yeah so we converted his term to another boy policy we reduced the premium on his current policy down to the 5000 Now he's paying 15000 on the new policy, and he has that room to continue to add money into the pay-to-petitions rider. And I presented that with him to him, and he said, now I'm happy. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> like... mm -hmm. Well, you look into the future of some of these policies, and you know they're doing... And in, I mean, the, the modest returns bore people to tears when they're just getting started. But when you are about to retire, let's say, and you're putting 10 grand in, and yet your cash value will grow by $60,000 or $50,000 that same year, you want to find any dollar in the couch cushions you can to pack into that. Anywhere I can put a dollar and, and right away that same year, I've got $6. I'm going to look for any dollar I can to squeeze in. So it, it totally makes sense, Marilyn, why he's, why he's happy. And he's happy now. Yes. Yeah. He's happy. You've made a lot of clients very happy. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing Americans today? And, and for your clients, the lucky folks that get to work with you, uh, what are some ways you help overcome? I mean, there's some fundamental challenges out there. How do you help them overcome those challenges? Well, I think the biggest challenge is financial illiteracy. We have a whole country full of people that are financially illiterate. At least when I went to school, they offered bookkeeping. They offer no, no financial anything in school anymore. And you go to college and unless you're majoring in finance or risk management, you don't get it. So you can graduate from high school. You can graduate from college. You can get a master's degree. You could become an astronaut or a brain surgeon and not know how to read a P&L. And that's one thing. And the other thing is life is so much busier now than it was 50 years ago. There is so much distraction in your life with TV, with sports. And I, I mean, people don't pay attention. They don't pay attention 
until they have an emergency. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I, I need money and I, where am I going to go? So I have my clients do the um, cash flow spreadsheet so they can see at the bottom line, is it red or is it green when they're putting in their income and then they put their expenses. I ask clients, oh, well, uh, you have a 401k. Oh, and what percentage, what are you contributing? Um, well, I think it's 5%. I'm not sure, but I think it's 5%. And what does your company match? Well, I think they're matching five or they were matching five, but then they reduced it. And now I think they're only matching two. They don't have a clue. I get a statement, but I don't really pay attention to it. They don't know if their gross deposits equal the value of their 401k. And we were brainwashed with the 401k. Oh, yeah, max out your 401k and retire a millionaire. Well, talk to somebody who retired in 1999 or 2006, how that's working out for them. Well said. Yeah, again, if, if you are climbing up Mount Retirement and at the top of the mountain you have an earthquake, that's a problem, you know? Uh, if, if you've got $10 in your 401k and you lose half of it, well, great. You're down to $5 and you're in your night in, in your 21 years old and you've got the rest of your life to build that up again. But if you're 79 years old and you've, you, you have a million dollars and you lose half of that, well, now that's a problem. It's a big problem. It gets less efficient to keep that 401k over time. And it's more efficient every year guaranteed right? To have a cash value life insurance policy. So I hear you saying, Marilyn, the biggest challenge is attention, paying attention. Uh, We pay plenty of money to credit cards, banks, 401ks, but we don't pay attention, which could be the best asset you invest in is your own attention. Am I hearing that right? Absolutely. What are a couple of interesting client experiences, uh, you know, meetings with clients that you've had? I already told the one about Al. The other one was very interesting. It was a referral for a million dollar life insurance policy. And that was in the day when nobody worked virtually. I actually went to his home. He was single. And I went over the illustration and the advantages and he was all ready. Okay, let's take the app. The application for the life insurance uh, for our audience? Yes, I was taking the application for the life insurance policy. And for those of you who have life insurance, probably don't remember, but you were asked the question, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Because if you have policies, then I'm sure the answer was no. And this guy goes, yes. And I'm like... Oh, is this guy Jack the Ripper? What? <laughs> you're, you're in the house with him. I yes, assume alone just with him. him okay, and I, just okay. him and I. And he tells me he's a convicted felon. And I, I thought I was very cool. And I looked at him and I said, um, well, uh, you know, you want to tell me about that? <laughs> and he said, sure. I served under Oliver North and me and several other men that served under him Hmm. were subpoenaed to testify against him in court and we were not going to do that so we left the country and when we came back we were arrested contempt of court is a felony 
and he served time and now he's out and I, I made all the good notes about it. I finished taking the application. He gave me a check and I left. Thankfully it wasn't Jack the Ripper. And I wrote a very long detailed cover letter that I submitted with the application and he was approved preferred. Mm, wow. That was like, a, oh my gosh, yes. Amazing. It's the only time I've ever had anybody answer yes to that question. <laughs> like. And and okay, so talk to us, I guess, um, specifically, what is it that drives your philosophy? And tell us a bit about like what what about this particular financial product matters to your overall philosophy for financial planning, peace, security. Marilyn, what's it all about for you? I'm keeping the money in the family, like the Rockefellers and not like the Vanderbilts. Both families were multi-multi-millionaires at one time, but the Rockefellers are still multi-multi-multi-millionaires. The Vanderbilts lost probably 90% of their fortune because the money was distributed to the heirs to spend lavishly and they went through it. They blew it. On the other hand, the Rockefellers, they had created a dynasty trust and they used cash value life insurance to perpetuate mm-hmm. the, the money in the family. And they're still multi, multi, multi. They're probably the richest people in the world. You want to be like the Rockefellers, not the Vanderbilts. And you have nine policies. Yeah, I have, of course, policies on myself. I still have, I still have the two John Hancock policies I bought on my kids. Well, I'm actually in contact with a trust attorney. And that's another thing I, I just harp all the time to all my clients, set up a trust, set up a trust. My husband was kind of a cowboy kind of guy. And he goes, oh, we don't need a trust. My boys know what to do. I said, Bobby, you cannot dictate from the grave. We're setting up a trust. Now you can dictate from the grave with, with if it's set up right. And all of the policies on all, I'm getting ready to put them all in this I think they call it a dynasty trust that all of the policies that I own on all of the family members will be owned by the trust and the trust is going to be the beneficiary. I had all the policies in place on everybody. My granddaughter got married and I got a, she already had her policies and I bought a policy on her husband. Then my grandson got married and had to buy a policy on his wife. And now I have two great granddaughters. They both have policies from the time they're born. So I, I want to I wanna perpetuate this. And I mm-hmm. can't do it with anything that has any risk. I can only do it with cash value life insurance. Oh, man. I love it. Marilyn, you know, it makes me think of Ben Franklin. He put $5,000 into a trust uh, and... It was allowed only for the city that he left it to, Philadelphia, uh, to open it after 100 years. And he left another $5,000 to be left in trust for 200 years. And the city opened it up in the 90s, 1990s, 
And there was, you know, tens of millions of dollars waiting for the city uh, to use. Now that's long-term thinking. Right. And, you know, you've, you've come from the, the, a world where you weren't even really welcomed, unfortunately, and you year one became million dollar roundtable member. That's, it's an incredible honor and accomplishment. Uh, and now you're at a point in your life where you're setting up dynasty trusts or dynastic trusts. And literally that is one of the only, and one of the best strategies for passing money a hundred years into the future, just like Ben Franklin did. Right. Uh, theoretically, you know, you could last, that trust could last a hundred years. Uh, and so, you know, the gift tax is avoided, the estate tax, generation skipping transfer tax is avoided. So it's, it's an Im impressive tool and you don't have to be a Rockefeller uh, in terms of net worth to do what Rockefellers do. Exactly. I am blowing the horn for cash value, whole life insurance with the proper design because that's important. So, mm, Well, I'd, I'd love for folks to find you uh, and to hear the horn. Uh, so tell us how we can find it. How, how can we find you, Marilyn? How can folks reach out to you to meet you and learn more? Oh, they can just call me. Um, my cell is 305-934-7705. Uh, or they can send me an email. My initials, mmb at blosserfinancial.com. Awesome. Thank you, Marilyn, for your time, your stories, and your insight and wisdom. We appreciate you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. The biggest way to overcome challenges, she said, is financial literacy. Marilyn, man, I think that was one of my biggest takeaways, guys. Uh, when I heard her say the biggest way to overcome the challenges that our country our family, ourselves, the biggest way to overcome challenges is literacy, learning, because it won't come from your high school, it won't come from college, it certainly won't come from your employer or the government. You've got to take it upon yourself to learn. And, you know, that was one of my, every time I meet with Marilyn, that's sort of one of the takeaways I get. She's a learner and a lifelong doer. She doesn't just learn for learning's sake, uh, but she puts that learning into practice and ways in which she can use that knowledge to serve her clients and herself even better. You, you heard it as she described the Dynasty Trust. She's learning more about that now and implementing that in her own life. Always learning, always doing, and always reflecting on what happens. Marilyn, thank you so much uh, for, for bringing so much wisdom to our lives and our busy life, as she said. Um, you know, let's pay attention to what truly matters and keep ourselves from the distractions that life would love to throw in our lap, whether it's the stock market or social media or any number of other distractions. So again, guys, I want to just point you to some of our resources you have at your disposal. One in particular is our YouTube channel. If you'd like to see some of our uh, best learnings that we've found in our episodes, as well as content I don't share anywhere else, make sure that you've subscribed to our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com and then search Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Click the big red button that says subscribe so you won't miss any of our content, any of the episodes we're putting just on YouTube. 
Uh, so with that, guys, I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.